Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we're back. And ironically, we're back because this is the second Batman film. But it's also, we're back because James and I already recorded this bit, but I deleted mine, so we're recording it again. Um, This is the intro returns. This is the Do The Franchise intro returns. Um, Oh, God. Batman Returns. So we're doing Batman Returns today. Uh, It was 1992. I've got so many notes, James. I've got so much content, and I'm sure most of you listening to this would have seen this movie already. It's a long. It's been a lot a long time. If you haven't seen this, why haven't you seen this film? Is that fair? There's, yeah, I think there's probably something like, like have you been living under a rock with no <laughs> television uh, for the last thirty odd years? Because that's the only way I can imagine you haven't seen it. Do you know what, as well, I've realised, I've just come on to this call for me and James are doing this today. It's a random Thursday. Uh, it's the launch today of Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, which is on Now TV and HBO Max. And I have watched a little bit of it. Um, it's four hours long, so it is going to take some some watching. And mm. I'm sure we'll be reviewing this when we get to the what I would call the modern era of Batman, right? But... Um, yeah, kind of funny that we're where that's just come out today, but then me and you are like throwing ourselves all the way back to nineteen ninety two. Kind of cool. Absolutely, we're we're nostalgia junkies. <laughs> um, we, we liked Batman before it was cool. So this is the second instalment, James. Uh, second big Batman film. Uh, Tim Burton again back on the project. Uh, it surely this has got to be, I guess, for the time one of the biggest sequel franchises movies ever made, right? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, things were, this was highly anticipated, being that I think this film took up over 50% of the Warner Brothers uh, lot in terms of filming. So they actually recreated a lot of Gotham in reality for this film. So they, they did, they put a lot into it. Is there a lot of Gotham like left over from the last one? Because I can't really recall in this film seeing things in in terms of mise en scène that I've seen in Batman One. Is it a different city? Because it looks different and the theme is quite different. It's it's kind of a Christmas film as well. Yeah, there's definitely a Christmas theme to it. This is a, that. I mean, there are bits that are supposed to be from the same city, but. Um, from interviews I've seen um, and and read, uh, Tim Burton was really keen not to make this a direct sequel, in in a lot of ways. Like that's right. why there's not a lot of many returning actors. So this is uh, he he wanted it to feel very very different. Isn't that funny? Some... Because yeah, because I was going to say to you, there's no mention of Napier or Joker. There's no tying it back to like I think there might be one mention of Vicky Vale. There's no mm. Knox, he's not in it. Um, there's, yeah, there's not a lot, is there? Like, there's not a lot. I don't even think, is Billy D. Williams, he's not in it, is he? As commission, no, um, no. As what's he called, Harvey Dent, district attorney. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit strange. And actually, as I said, and I said this to James before we started recording, this is one of those movies that I always loved as a kid, and I like to watch it at Christmas. You know, it's kind of one of those, like, Christmas um, rituals that I watch it. But it doesn't really feel like a sequel. And it is funny that you said that. Yeah, it, it, there, there's some really subtle things. Like you say, they they do mention Vicky Vale in passing. 
the uh, the gang that the penguins in control of throughout the film. Um, lots of them are clowns and circus acts and things like that. Um, yeah. And they're called the Red Triangle Gang. And okay. They're meant to have been, uh, in some early forms of the script, inspired by Joker uh, to go into a life of crime. So right. It, so it, I was it, going to ask you about them. So they kind of a leftover piece of Joker um, legacy characters. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's something that he left out deliberately um, as a bit of world building. He didn't go into it in any detail again because he wanted this to have a different feel. Isn't that he was given strange? more creative more creative control in this. Apparently, the studio were pretty hands off making the film, so that sort of shows through. I think in in how it feels different to the first it does, one. It doesn't sound like Warner Brothers, does it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, this film got a 7 out of 10 uh, rating on IMDb, uh, 80% Rotten Tomato score, so pretty favourable reviews from fans and critics alike. Um, yeah. It is a good film. Like, I can't state that enough. It is a solid movie. It's a whole lot of fun. It does, for me, suffer slightly from that Thing of going too far down the Tim Burton rabbit hole. And what I mean by that is um, when you get Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for example, in a few years after this, um, you get the Tim Burton version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. So even though he tries to stick to what is the classic Roald Dahl source material and obviously pay homage to the to the film that was made in the 70s, there's a, there's a sense of, I'm just going to throw Tim Burton at this. And it's almost like chucking paint at the walls. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's just regurgitating these Tim Burton-esque ideas with Johnny Depp flouncing around being really strange. And it's what I didn't like about the, um, what was the one he did? Uh, is it Alice in Wonderland with um, yeah. Johnny as the Mad Hatter and uh, Helena Bonham Carter as the as the Queen of Hearts. And again, ca- classic uh, Tim Burton casting. But that was another thing where I watched it and thought, I don't like this. It's like chucking paint at the walls, Tim Burton style. Yeah, yeah, it has got on, like, it's Batman at its core, but on the outer edges, it's got, like you say, all that Tim Burton... Um... Madness. Yeah, and it's, I, th- I again, I think it's because, from what I understand, he wasn't really that keen on doing a sequel. Um, and interestingly, this is the only Tim Burton film sequel that he's also directed okay that's an interesting fact yeah so yeah because i guess there are a lot of properties that he's been a part of that have had sequels made of them but not mm. but not directly by him um yeah so this movie starts out with the cobble pot parents dumping their newborn baby in the sewer because presumably he's deformed they keep him in a cage um it's a really dark again burton-esque gothic beginning to a film and it, it is nasty it's a nasty end it's start but it's cool um they take him to the uh is it the the zoo like the gotham city zoo and dump him in the river yeah. and you get that beautiful danny elfman uh, melody um over the top with that orchestra and that harmony you know with the with the um with the chorus singers yeah and then, he, and then that 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 sort of theme blends straight into the batman theme which i thought was amazing like that is really a masterclass in scoring but uh yeah then it starts and it's in the future we fast forward to you know gotham after the fall of the joker and we're introduced to max shrek who's an industrialist who's planning to build a dirty power plant that no one's asked for uh he can't get his plan in james and he decides to become a supervillain. yeah it's it feels 
forced into the story because it is. Uh, Max Shrek <laughs> isn't a comic book character. Yes. In fact, um, in some of the earlier scripts, it was going to be Harvey Dent in right. this film. Okay. Um, and it, some of the points in the story would make more sense if Max had been a, a DA rather than a corrupt business person. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can sort of see uh, how Harvey Dent would have fitted in with this. But they went with uh, Max Shrek. Uh, do you know what's cool about his name? Yes, I know you're going to say. We actually had this uh, for listeners of the podcast. This was in our Halloween special, wasn't it? It was indeed. What's the cool fact, Jake? I've remembered, James. It, Max Shrek is the name of the actor who played the first vampire, Nosferatu, in the... Uh, what was the film called? Nosferatu. Is it, is it called Nosferatu? Sorry, I wasn't yeah. sure if it was. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to edit that bit out so I sound clever. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like that as like a Tim Burton nod to um, to what Craig came. And if you look at uh, Max Schreck, um the character, he kind of has hints of an as a of a vampiric look with the hair yeah. and the long trench coats and things. He looks a little bit like Nosferatu, but yeah, apparently, I lo- apparently on set. He scared Tim Burton a lot. What? Apparently, Tim Burton was scared of uh, of Chris Walken. Why? <laughs> In, apparently, on set, it freaked him out a little bit. Um, oh, there's I love a, Chris other Walken. cool facts about Max Schreck uh, as uh, a role. It was originally going to be offered to David Bowie. That would have been amazing. Yeah. And guess what? The what? role of Max Zorin, who Christopher Walken played in Bond, was in View to a Kill was also originally offered to Bowie. How strange. So apparently, Christopher Walken and David Bowie, interchangeable. Maybe they're the same person. Maybe, maybe. I've never seen them in the same room. Could you imagine if Walken had sang Life on Mars? (laughs) (laughs) What would that even be like? Oh, God. Um, Yeah, it's a strange start. But yeah, so we introduce Max Shrek as our... We kind of principal villain, but I always say in in every film of the of the DNA of a Batman film, you've always got several pieces of the puzzle, and we'll talk about this as we go through the franchise itself. But like you have your chief villain, which in this case is Penguin, and then you have your additional villains. This film, um, I've got a few things I wanted to say before we go through it. Is it's the shortest? Um, hang on, I need to phrase this properly. It is the least amount of time Batman is in a Batman film. Nice. That's Did a good you, fact. Yeah, he's in it for 31 minutes. It's like a two and a half hour film. Um, he's hardly in it. Bruce Wayne's in it quite a lot. And yeah. the the villains, our three villains being Catwoman, Penguin and Max Shrek, they kind of are a beautiful triangle that work in their own way. The story's weaved around those three, those three uh, antagonists. And I think the story works really well. I think those three steal the film. And I think that's why, although this film does have some problems, I think that's why it works really well because mm. it mimics some of the that there, there, there's some more fringy Batman comics that are told from the perspective of the criminals. Yeah. So, as an audience member, Batman is this mysterious character that shows up and spoils the fun of the criminals, basically, and stops them doing what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, so you do see it. You, you start to see him as this. Um, well, he's a superhero who has 
in your eyes, powers of just appearing and disappearing at will and you know uh, moving like a ninja. You're never seeing it from his perspective, which would probably mm. make it's like the magician showing his uh, showing you how to do a trick. Yeah, it would probably spoil it. So you, I, I like that this film gives gives you gives you as the audience the opportunity to sit in with the villains more and and see how their thought processes work but you don't really see as much of batman because you've probably seen that already in yeah. batman 89 you know you've seen that in the original so yeah i like I, it yeah i do i like it as well i think it works really well um we're introduced to selena kyle um played by michelle pfeiffer um every, obviously everyone that knows the comic books knows who selena kyle is and it's the same as mm. when she shows up in any Batman film or any Batman TV series. Like, as soon as it's Selena Kyle, I already know what I'm going to get. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. but she's a bumbling but pretty um, secretary to Max Shrek. Uh, very much not married. She makes that abundantly clear later. Um, and <laughs> then we get introduced to Cobblepot, Oswald Cobblepot, who is the penguin, who's been living in the sewer with an army of penguins and an army of killer clowns. Um, it seems like, I mean, again, reading my notes, I'm really not making this up. This is the plot. And <laughs> then Shrek, I think, does no, does, does Oswald, he kidnaps um, Max and makes him go into the sewer where he then kind of gives him his, his scheme, reveals a scheme that he's going to come to the surface and reveal himself. There's a really wonderful scene here as well where um, he's going to blackmail Shrek and he shows he's like oh if I had those papers that you speak of I would have seen to it that they'd have been shredded and then Penguin's just got them all with shitloads of sellotape on them all the shredded <laughs> bits of these documents that he's put back together yeah, did you, do you remember that bit I thought it was really yeah. funny it's great um, I, it, this film has some great comedy beats to it <laughs> it does and there's the bit that I told you earlier which is like my favourite probably my favourite ever Batman moment which is Penguin is is using a umbrella which spins with a, mm. like a magic eye on it, and, and Max Shrek says, "What's that supposed to do? Hypnotize me?" And he says, "No, it's just meant to give you a splitting headache." And he goes, "Oh, it's not working," and it just explodes. <laughs> 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 I really appreciated that. Uh, yeah, really good. And uh, so that's how the scheme is uh, between Shrek wanting his planning commission. And Oswald wanting, I guess, what fame and fortune, recognition. Yeah, he's yeah. In in the comics, he's not always depicted as like this deformed character. Yeah, he's he's often just a a mob boss who wants to run a a, a legitimate, not legitimate campaign to become mayor. Hmm. So that there's lots of times where he is actually mayor Cobblepot. So uh, there's lots of uh, times in the comics where he does achieve that. So yeah, he's uh, his scheme in in the film is actually not too dissimilar to what you'd see in a comic. Isn't that funny? Um, why mayor? Why does he want to be mayor so bad? I mean, mayor comes with responsibilities. I guess I guess it's sort of he wants to be mayor for the the pomp and the ceremony of it, but also yeah. it gives him that ability to you know, uh, grant favours to people and stuff like that. So it still allows him to be like the this mafia don um, of uh, of Gotham. That's funny. Um, I'm trying to see my notes now. So, um, yeah, Shrek and Oswald align with each other for beneficial, mutually beneficial reasons. And then Selina gets pushed out of a window, comic book style, but then dies, kind of, 
and then she gets mm. bitten by a cat and becomes Catwoman. I didn't really get any of that. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 bitten by cats thing. I I don't believe. I mean, I'm sure it's been written in comics since this film, but I don't yeah. think it was ever part of her comic origin originally. I thought it was a bit of a um, joke, to be honest. I wasn't really sure if it was like a, a deliberate reference to Spider-Man and trying to be funny. Yeah, it's it, it's so strange. I did find out how they managed to get the cats to come and attack Selina. Um, <laughs> they, they, Michelle Pfeiffer suffered a lot through this film, but this uh, must okay. have been the most humiliating bit. They just covered her in tuna. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is it something fishy? Um, yeah, it's just, with... it's just tuna she got covered in. Like, I've got more facts later about her actual costume, but that just seems... <laughs> Like the most ridiculous way of getting it paid is. for an acting job, and also get... like it could have attracted penguins as well because they like tuna as well, don't they? They do, they do. I have penguin facts. I have so many penguin facts for later. I can't it's... wait for those. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. And then she comes back as Catwoman after going kind of mad. There's a beautiful scene where she destroys her pink room and spray paints it black, and she gets a little outfit on. Uh, my missus made a really good point there. She's like, why does she need the slutty black outfit? But I'm kind of like, I think it's just a comic book thing. Don't know why it has to be black latex or leather. But I suppose no, so- it's just a, th- is it just a thing? What is it? Uh, no, again, more more or less created for the film. I mean, she's had black costumes prior to this, I think. But the actual look of it in this film is, is pretty original uh, right. to the film. Uh, her original costumes were usually uh, green and purple uh, in, okay. the, in the comics. Um, and uh, she got a black costume um, after the events from a series called Crisis on Infinite Earths. So, uh, yeah, originally more green-purple. They went to a lot of effort for the costume in this film. Yeah. More than 60 latex cat suits were used. My God. Each of them cost a thousand dollars, and that is like a thousand dollars old money as well, like nineteen ninety-two thousand yeah. dollars. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, and it was um, the the reason it's uh, got all the white stitching on it. Apparently, Tim Burton envisaged it as being a bit like a stuffed cat, so a cat right. that had already died and was taxidermied together. Oh, that's clever! See, I haven't made so, that connection. That's really clever. I quite like that. Uh, and uh, the stitches aren't actually stitches; they're white silicon rubber that are painted onto the cat suit that uh. was uh, created from a body cast of Michelle Pfeiffer. I bet that was fun as well. So yeah, uh, apparently she'd wear the suit twelve to fourteen hours at a time. Oh my god! Imagine, yeah, because I can't imagine it was very easy to get on and off. No, she could only take it off once a day, apparently. And there were times where she nearly collapsed after a scene. Because it was she... just so hot. Yeah. So um, they they def- they actually had another actor lined up for the role before Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, uh, I've got this on my notes. Are you going to say Annette Benning? Yes, she got pregnant, so the cat suit yes. wouldn't fit her. <laughs> so that was, yeah. they had to find somebody else. Um, <laughs> I so read yeah. that. I read the same thing. Um, but yeah, so the cat suit, very unique and original to the film. A lot of money and effort went into it, and I've gotten a further fact about it that I'm going to save for later. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm going to keep keep you waiting because people might want to carry on listening then because it's a good fact. I'm going to go straight into. 
Clowns attack street and we get Batman um, for the first time in the movie, which is uh, Bruce Wayne is in his office and we get like a little, the bat signal goes off and it signals another bat signal, which signals another bat signal, which blows a bat signal into the house. I mean, I don't know why that's so necessary. Surely you could just have someone looking out and, you know, say, I mean, you can just give him a ring, to be honest. I yeah, feel like, I mean, he, th- yeah, sorry, he's go got on. Phones. He's got phones. He's got Alfred. Alfred could spot it. I don't really <laughs> think, and again, we'll probably talk about this a lot throughout this these episodes, but I don't really think as a mode of contact, the bat symbol is all that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, there's definitely, definitely easier ways. Um, I mean... Batman is probably, if he's like comic book style, the greatest detective in the world, Batman, probably already listening to police radio. Yeah. I mean, is that, uh, is that just a hangover from the comics? Does he have the bat symbol in all the comic books? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, the bat symbol definitely exists uh, in the comics prior to this. Um, but uh, that it, it depends on the era of the comic that you're reading. Yeah. Some some comics lean more heavily into Batman basically being a private detective with really cool gadgets, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that kind of Batman sort of turns up at crime scenes without needing to be signalled. Yeah, in fact, he's usually in the room where, where the robbery is taking place before the robbers are. Yeah. You know, he, he's he's waiting to surprise them. So yeah, that there's there's a lot of Batman stories that don't involve a bat signal at all, but as a movie device. It's pretty cool. Because it looks cool, I guess. Yeah, it does look cool. And I think the bat symbol from the Burton era Batman films is uh, highly copyrighted. Because they they had to. They... um, the CW in America who do you know the Arrow and the Flash, they did their big crossover event last year that was based on Crisis. And they included actors from all the different sort of uh, DC franchises they had because yeah. uh, they did they, they went to different Earths and each Earth was based on a different property and they had a Tim Burton Batman Earth Earth eighty nine and huh. they had the guy that played Knox oh. uh, in the scene and the bat symbol went off and it was a different logo a different bat logo. Uh, and everyone uh, that was watching it in, in the forums were like, oh, why is it different? And it turns out they couldn't or weren't allowed to use the Tim Burton Batman bat symbol. Antipathetic, really. Yeah, it's it's daft. It's so daft. It's so like, silly because that, that... It's not that hurting anybody, would... is it? No, no. And it, it's... You know, they were allowed to use a bat symbol, just not yeah. that one. <laughs> it seems silly. Yeah, but me and my wife always talk about this, like why the studios and the companies out there do so much to boycott property, which is also, I mean, again, I know the fans don't own the property. I get that. I'm aware of that. But mm. if it not for the fans, the property has no intellectual value. So I always feel like these companies, they they teeter on the edge of what is basically just bullying and copyright um it's almost like hostage taking isn't it where they're like we will hold this property hostage until we want to use it sony have done the same thing with spider-man where they're like marvel can have it for a bit um but if you want it we're gonna we want the money and marvel are going well, you don't really we're not gonna pay that and they're like well we'll keep it then and it's like it just give the property back to the people who are going to make the best films or give the property back to the person that's going to make the best thing for the fans of that property uh, I don't, do you know what I mean? It just upsets yeah. me. 
Yeah, it, it's it's weird sort of political manoeuvring from different studios, and uh, yeah. it's even stranger that um, the CW stuff is made with permission through Warner Brothers. Yeah. So why would they have a problem very, with one but not the other? Yeah. Yeah. Very very strange. But uh, so yeah, we uh, Batman gets called um, to the Christmas event. Yeah, unlike the first one, in this one it's not a 200-year anniversary festival. They're just trying to light the fucking tree for like an just hour. It's a really big Christmas tree. And um, they can't light it because things keep going wrong. Yeah. It's, oh. it's the, it's the, it's sort of, that's the MacGuffin for the biggest part of this, the first part of this film is the <laughs> bloody tree needs to be set. You know, you need to turn the lights on the tree and everything's set against you. Uh, yeah. there, there's a hostage situation. Um, it, Penguin it's... murders that woman, which I thought was really violent. Do you know? Yes. Where, where he says, T- it's pictures for your for the paper or something. She goes, oh, I hope you shoot my good side. And he just gets a batarang and just throws it at her head. Yeah. It, <laughs> he it's just bludgeons her. <laughs> it's really, gruesome. really funny, but really horrible. Again, it's that thing where we were laughing in the last one where it's kind of like awful but bordering on the absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I think that's what Tim Burton does quite well. Um, This bit also includes, I think, uh, from what I was reading, it's one of the, or it is the first Batman live action film to include CGI because the bats aren't real. Yes, the ones that come out of the tree. I was going to ask you about these. Yeah. So uh, the uh, Batman uses his cape as a glider, comic accurate, really cool, um, yeah. and uh, flying through these this flock or swarm. I don't know what you call a multitude of bats, but <laughs> a lot of bats, a cloud of bats, a cloud of bats, and he 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 glides through them, and that it's a really cool shot. Uh, I'm just trying to find you the term for a group of bats. Um, more than one bat is called a colony of bats. Or okay. you can have a cauldron of bats. Ooh, I like that. A cauldron of bats. A group of bats, bats is sometimes referred to as a cauldron. Bat groups are also called colony when they live in a large cave or cloud or a large or, group or, is in or flight. Or a tree, or a Christmas tree. A really <laughs> or a Christmas big tree. Christmas tree. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, it's, it's a cool scene. It's probably like... We mentioned obviously that the Snyder cut's been released. It's probably yeah. the Snyderiest shot in the film. Like yeah. you could imagine Snyder doing the same thing. I really like it when the bats come out the tree, and it, and it's kind of that. Yeah, for me, it's that thing between oh, it's still a Christmas movie, but it's got a really twisted, dark edge to it, and I like yeah. that a lot. Um, and I think as well. And again, we don't talk about. We're probably going to talk about it, but we don't talk about it enough. Is that he's based on his fear of bats. And Batman mm. having live bats in the film, even though it can sometimes be seen as a bit cheesy, I personally always like seeing them. Um, like there's a bit we'll talk about in Batman versus Superman where wherever you see Batman, you always see bats leaving the crime scene afterwards. And I always thought it was kind of cool. I like that yeah. look. I like the look of him in a shroud surrounded by bats. I think it's kind of a, an evocative image. Um, so where do we go to? The Christmas tree, the woman gets killed. Um, and then... I'm trying to remember where I've got to. I completely lost my uh, my notes. Can we just skip to Bruce and Selena start dating, which comes completely yeah. out of left field, and then they, um, they the, sort of meet, don't they, at, at Max's office? Yeah, and then meet again in the street, don't they? 
Yeah, and the uh, the bit in Max's office has a really cool. It's almost an Easter egg, but not quite. Go on. Um, the uh, Max has a photo wall uh, in his office, and in the photos, there's loads of pictures of Max with famous people. Yeah. Um, he's got pictures with all of the Rat Pack, <laughs> and he has a picture with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh no! Yeah. Now in in this film. Obviously, they hadn't really envisaged what would go on in other films, but in this film, it's I think it's just meant to be a picture with him and Arnie. But obviously, now we know that the Joel Schumacher films exist and Arnie plays Victor Freeze. Yeah. A lot of people have retrospectively made it a, a link. Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> so like Max is friends saying, with the Professor, um, yeah, Mr. Freeze. Yeah. So, That's uh, funny. So, it's so cool. It's just like this little shot. It's when she's over uh, by the um, the sideboard and she gets shocked and turns round. Yeah. It's in the back background. I'm going to have to so, go yeah. watch it again now, aren't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's uh, some really funny bits around here. Um, there's also a bit where, yeah, where, where Oswald and, well, where Max Shrek approaches Oswald to try and get him to be mayor. And he gives him a big fish in a packet. And, yes. And and Danny DeVito. Let's talk about Danny DeVito for a minute because I mean this is a marvelous performance uh, all the way through this film. I I can't really say enough positive about it in that it's terrifying and it always scared me when I was a child. It's captivating to look at the the grunting and the noises that he makes when he's just shuffling about are. So weird, but make the character feel visceral and, and real, you know. Um, yeah. And and I love the bit with the fish. I think when he gives him the fish and he brings him downstairs and he's like, don't want to go. Ugh. And then he takes him downstairs and then there's those people trying to like make him up so that he looks more acceptable on television. Um, yeah. And then he bites the guy's nose off. It's just it's, weird. It's so weird. It's such a good performance. Apparently, he Danny was the first and only choice for Penguin. Yeah, ob- obviously, him. yeah. Tim Burton, which is cool, because you know they they shopped around for every other character, but yeah. they only had Danny in mind for the Penguin. Um, his uh, his makeup took so long that he in his trailer he replaced uh, one of the makeup cabinets with a TV and a laser disc player, so he could watch his favorite films while while he was having his makeup put on. That's hilarious. Pretty cool, and the makeup was so scary. The monkey, which is also a big. You know, the, the monkey plays a big part in this film. Yeah. Uh, but apparently the monkey refused to act with him. He just ran away because he was so scared. So um, do you recall the scene where the monkey hands him a letter? Yeah, in the sewer. Yeah. So when the monkey gives Penguin a letter and Penguin takes it off him, that was Danny DeVito coming in on his day off because he wasn't wearing his makeup and he just put the, the uh, prosthetic hand on to take the letter off but behind from behind the camera it's just Danny DeVito That's on his day hilarious. off. That's <laughs> hilarious. I, I love that image of Danny DeVito with his weird deformed sort of prosthetic hand <laughs> passing letters between him and it's a monkey. It's so strange. I love these kind of facts though. These are the reason. Yeah. This is why I like doing this podcast because I like to learn weird and quirky I have, things. I have another letter fact. Go on. Um, the, the letter that gets passed to Danny DeVito um, is handwritten. And it's not in Michael Keaton's handwriting. It's actually Bob Kane, the guy who ah, created Batman. So it's that's his a nice, second that's a nice fact. little uh, Batman cameo. cameo. Again, because he wasn't f- 
feeling too well at this point in his life. Yeah. Um, he wasn't able to make a, a proper cameo until the Schumacher um, Batman films. But uh, he, they still kept that Bob Kane DNA going in this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, slightly divergent on what we were talking about. Yeah, but no, yeah. The, um, I think the next bit is the crowd turn against Penguin and start throwing things at him. Yeah, and is this around the same time as... I'm losing my plot a little bit, but I know Catwoman blows up the, the Shrek uh, shop, the department store. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the first moment we get the three meeting each other. So you see Penguin's out and about um, as mayor. Batman comes out and the clowns are out. And then you see Catwoman. And then, yeah. and then like you say, he does the speech where... Um, Bruce frames him. This is on the back of the Batmobile bit, which we haven't spoken about, where Penguin um, breaks into the Batmobile and hotwires it and uses a kid's play toy thing to control <laughs> the Batmobile from his trailer, uh, a, which a is so weird. <laughs> He's in like a little miniature kid's toy version of the... Um, what the hell would you even call that? Is it like a 50 pence ride at the fair? Yeah, yeah, it's the sort and of thing that it's like a little car that you put a kid in, it rocks them backwards and forwards. And, and presumably that was a real one from like the first Batman film when it was popular. I would, I would assume so. I would assume so. Like, I, I, I don't have a fact about that, sadly. But I think I there was that's... one of those. There was one of those in Morrison's in Nottingham where I grew up. I'm sure there was. There well, was like a front Flintstone one and a Batmobile. Batmobile. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I'm fucking. I'm going back to the 90s, mate. I want to see that Batmobile. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and then we get the bit where uh, Oswald is framed by Bruce. Um, so he frames Batman and then Bruce frames Penguin up with his own yeah. audio feed and then the crowd start throwing tomatoes and then I think the penguin does say something as in he's like why does someone always bring tomatoes yeah <laughs> which I thought um, was really funny there's a really cool cameo it's it's an off-screen cameo so I'm not sure if it counts but one of the people throwing tomatoes at Danny DeVito is yeah. Danny Elfman no way that's wonderful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I've got another bit again. We're gonna people are gonna be so annoyed with me today because I just keep stopping this podcast and going through it. Um, the guys that did Screen Junkies, you know the uh, movie trailer people on YouTube, yeah. they came up with a fantastic one which I hadn't even seen when I watched the film, and I've now gone back and looked at it. Um, do you know the kid that plays Shrek's son? I think he's called yeah. Chip. And at the beginning, um, Devito wants Chip, but then Max goes with him instead, and. Yeah. Um, when Penguin comes out, Chip does a Walken impression back at Walken. <laughs> like, I can't even... Like, if you're a fan, listen to this. Go back and watch that scene. There's a bit where um, Chip shouts at at Walken, Dad, go, save yourself. <laughs> it sounds like Chris Walken. And I just thought it was like, what a wonderful thing, because that's an actor pretending to be Christopher Walken's son, who, let's be honest, probably would sound a bit like Christopher Walken. Yeah, uh, yeah loved it. Thought it was brilliant. My favourite bit in the film now. Uh, yeah, and then uh, after the the um, tomato throwing bit, Penguin goes back to the sewer and vows vengeance on Gotham by uh, mm. killing the firstborn children of everyone. So it gets a bit dark here. Yeah, it does, until you realise how he's going to kill the firstborn of everyone. He's going to send exploding penguins. Yes, <laughs> which which don't don't really 
fill you with the sort of fear that you would expect. <laughs> like Joker's laughing gas was genuinely yeah. terrifying, <laughs> but this is just quite comical. Um, I is now a good time for the penguin facts, or shall I save them for for later? No, I think do it. It's fine. So the 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 penguins um, are a, a mixture of computer generated penguins. Um, there are also little actors inside penguin suits. Really? Yeah. So when my word, uh, when at the end the penguins drag penguin into the sewer. Right. Yeah. 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 That's that's little actors in penguin suits. Small people. And yeah, not children. And just not just children. to be just to be sure, you're, you're talking about smaller actors. Yeah. Yeah. And the final form of these penguins uh, are animatronic penguins designed by none other than Stan Winston. Well, he is the only one in Hollywood, isn't he? Well, he was. Yeah. And uh, apparently (laughs) he told an anecdote that uh, when his crew were collecting the mechanical penguins after a day's (laughs) shoot, um, they found the only other kind of penguins that they used were actually from London Zoo. They were emperor penguins that were tame enough to work with and they found one of the live penguins snuggled up asleep against a mechanical one. Oh. <laughs> so oh, they're obviously so realistic enough. <laughs> uh, and what about the clowns, James? Were they real clowns or were they animatronic clowns? Uh, mostly real clowns, I believe, Jake. Yeah, it's strange. I'm trying to think what else I've got on my notes here. Uh, I think you've pretty much covered, covered all my uh, little facts that I've sourced. But yeah, then we get a bit in the sewer where the penguins march on Gotham and Batman has the bat boat or the bat wing or whatever it is to, to fly yeah. in and, and save and stop the penguins. And it's great because when you see his console with his little, um, whatchamacallit, his little radar that Alfred's communicating with him on. And yeah. it's just going wah wah like a penguin noise, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was really funny. Do you remember that bit? It's kind of yeah. going wah 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 like that, and it makes a really stupid penguin noise. And I was like, love that. That's that's brilliant. It, it's um, great. It's it's again. It's that that those little elements of humour that bring out yeah. a lot of what I love in this film. My my wife Nat couldn't get over um, when Penguin escapes on the. <laughs> the 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 duck boat it's like a giant rubber duck shaped boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> which has also got wheels on it so it can go upstairs <laughs> oh, it's like all so the good. all the worst bond gadgets put into one it, yeah. film is, do you know what though I, I think that's what i like because it's so stupid i can kind of get on board with it do you know what i mean like because it's so absurd that he's got a a boat that's like one of those boats you would go through a tunnel of love with, but it's a giant rubber duck and it's got a man that looks like a penguin on the back of it. It's yeah. just so weird, but it's so good. And it, it works in the sense of if you saw that rubber duck in a museum, for example, in like a film museum, you and I would walk in and immediately know that was the duck from Batman Returns. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, oh. it, is, it is an iconic image yeah. for, from this film. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, um, Alfred helps Bruce defeat Penguin. Um, it, a wonderful performance again. But I think Alfred's probably at his sassiest in this movie. Um, yes. It's really good. And then Penguin is. Does Penguin? How does Penguin die? And he falls through a window somehow. Is he outside? Yeah. When he goes out on the on the duck boat, and then they have that bit where 
he's he's got the bat wing and it knocks him off the bat and he goes through that window, doesn't he? I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and he falls and, into the uh, water. And Batman's turned a lot of the penguin missiles against penguin. That's right. Yeah, because they all come yeah. back to the cave, don't they? To the um, zoo, and then yeah. Selena's there. And Max is there because Max has been held hostage by Penguin for a bit of a bit of payback. Yeah. And then Selina kills Shrek. Spoiler yes. Spoiler alert. Now, this is the bit I mentioned earlier that would probably make more sense if it had originally been Harvey Dent in the role, in that position. Because in the script, the taser would be would have been the thing that actually scarred Harvey Dent and turned him to Two-Face. Oh, is that right? I never thought about that. I was wondering where, I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah. So that, That's if wicked. it had been Billy D. Williams, this would have been his uh, Two-Face origin, supposedly. Yeah, she just shocked his face with the, with the live wire and it would have burnt his face. Yeah. That's right good. That's clever. But yeah, uh, instead it just... Bake smack Shrek to a cookie. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we get that really wonderful bit where Selena kind of dies, but doesn't die. Obviously, Batman takes his mask off, and all is revealed between the the, the three main characters. And then Shrek dies. Selena presumably dies, but he yes. can't find her body in the wreckage. And then Penguin comes out the water, and you think Penguin's going to do something, but he just flops dead on the floor and then gets carried back into the water by the penguins which is really sad um yeah. tonally it really goes against the rest of the film but it works really well it does it sort of shocks you in, into a, a, a different viewpoint of the film doesn't it because you've had yeah the giggles of penguins being you know missile launchers and then it brings you smack down to earth where basically everyone in the film dies except yeah. batman and yeah. alfred <laughs> you know, and the, it's the really characters. sad as well because he he was not really a villain as so many villains aren't he was just a person who was abandoned and not given much of a good start in life yeah. and then became vengeful and then um, through no fault of his own is despised by people because of the way he looks and then becomes horrible so it's a really sad story the penguin story I think yeah. but it's a, it's a really good I, it's a really good director to do that treat, kind of treatment because it's sort of the Edward Scissorhands yeah. Um, yeah. effect. Isn't it? He's bullied as a and yeah. misunderstood. Um, and in a way, Catwoman's a similar story. You know, yeah. Someone pushed to the edge who makes several bad decisions, but in reality isn't really a bad guy. No, she just breaks. Woman. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, she, she, yeah, she just Breaks. Apparently, Michelle Pfeiffer still gets asked whether Catwoman's really uh, a Batman baddie or not. Yeah. Um, uh, and you can see why from this film. Um, but she's not dead, is she, Jake? No, this is the great bit. And at the end, um, Batman thinks he sees her down an alleyway and gets out of his car with Alfred. And it's just a snowy evening in Gotham. And I think that's my favourite bit in terms of like linking it to Christmas. And uh, it's Christmas Eve... And he sees the cat in the alleyway and picks it up and takes it with him, doesn't he? Instead of leaving the cat in the alleyway in the cold. And yeah. then says, Merry Christmas, Alfred. And as they drive off in the snow, it pans up and we see Catwoman on top of a roof. And you're like, yes, it can carry on. There'll be another one. And yeah. it kind of isn't. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the the cool thing about that last scene, that was a effectively a reshoot. Oh, so really? 
yeah, they they did that. Um, the uh, they were hoping to have a Catwoman spin-off film. Uh, so that was probably the only bit of studio interference, I guess. They asked for that scene to be put in, right? Uh, and it was uh, it was filmed over a weekend. It, huh. The single shot cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Whoa! And <laughs> it was a Michelle Pfeiffer body double. Oh, it wasn't even her. No, it wasn't for all even that her. money, for all that yeah. money, it wasn't even Michelle. That's no. crazy. It's mad, um, isn't it? It's a wonderful ending, though. It's a really powerful shot. I always think that... I'm trying to think to all the Batman films I've seen so far. And obviously, the two we're going to review next, I don't remember them hardly at all because I watched them when I was a kid. But Mm. the Batman Begins onwards and these ones, they have that beautiful thing of ending with the bat symbol above the city. They're quite epic. And I remember thinking when I watched the Dark Knight trilogy that they do a similar thing where all their last shots are really iconic to kind Mm. of end the film on a big high and we said that last week when we were talking about the endings but um yeah james really love this film i i think to analyze it and to break it down in this context is hard because i don't think it's critically a wonderful masterpiece however i do feel like if you wanted to um turn out the lights on christmas and watch something a little bit twisted uh and you have seen nightmare before christmas already um go and watch Go and watch Batman Returns. Yeah. And my wife, my wife Natalie, didn't even really know much about this film. She didn't even know it was a Christmas film until we watched it a couple of years ago at Christmas. And I was like, no, it's definitely a Christmas film. Like, it's about the tree, um, and there's a penguin in it, and there's some <laughs> Christmas stuff in it. And uh, at the end, uh, there, Batman says, Merry Christmas, everybody. So it's definitely a Christmas film, putting that yeah. out there. Uh, but yeah, really, uh, I really like it. What other facts did you have for me, James? Well, did you have anything else you wanted to get in? Yeah, I've got, I've got one, I think that sort of ties it up quite nicely is that, that Michael Keaton has a very similar feeling about the film to us in yeah. that he stated he's never watched the completed movie. Uh, he went on to explain that he only took the role because he needed money for a real estate deal. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's honest. Never, yeah, apparently, on like a more serious note, he never played the same character twice. Up to that funny? point, so he'd never gone back for a sequel to re, you know redo a character, yeah. and he said he f- he found it odd in in the first few days of filming he was in, he f- he felt like he was impersonating himself. He found it yeah. really difficult just to let going the character and, be. Yeah, going back and doing another imp- another Batman impression, even though he's probably left it alone for three years. It's it is hard, isn't it, to kind of it'd be like leaving a job and then going back after ten years and trying yeah. to reintegrate yourself seamlessly into a, the job you used to do. Um, and you're also working around people who are like, oh yeah, you used to do this job, but you don't really your heart's not in it because you've emotionally moved on. It must be mm. hard. Must must have been tricky, but obviously he got whatever real estate deal he wanted done but yeah uh, he also got uh, 10 million dollars for the role as well so it eh, wasn't that hard was it uh, no. michael <laughs> I, mean, I i do love the idea that jack nicholson was so proud of the the joker that he watched batman once a week yeah <laughs> but but michael <laughs> keaton hasn't even seen batman returns <laughs> oh dear i do you know you were saying earlier about set design being quite grand Mm. Um, if you go on Wikipedia and look at the film, there is a wonderful shot of the Gotham City Square set 
built in Studio 16 at Warner Brothers, and it is huge. And it's got those two big statues outside City Hall and the Christmas tree in the middle. And it looks fantastic. It really does show the epicness of, of that set design for that film. Um, mm. I like that about this Gotham, you know, with all the giant statues and things around. It's kind of... Um, it's unique, yeah. isn't it? And it doesn't it's, look like any American city, which is why you can kind of get on board with the fact that it is Gotham and it's not just Detroit or Chicago, do you know? Yeah, and I think, because obviously the the next films are supposedly the same universe, they share the same Alfred, but they're very different visions of Gotham from Joel Schumacher. Yeah. So if you want to carry on living in this world but see other stories, um, there's a great comic book series called Batman 89, which is uh, obviously hand-drawn comics set in this reality. So it's the same Gotham, the same characters, the same Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has that same look and feel of the Burton films. Okay, um, that so, sounds cool. Let's so look at that. De- there's definite you know, jumping-off points. If you did want to jump back into the comics from here, that would be yeah. a really good place to go. Cause, and obviously, the Batman animated series took a lot of cues from Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Uh, so if if you like that, there's a whole obviously animated series, but there's a whole bunch of comics that were influenced by that series as well. So yeah, this is like sort that. of like the 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 end, the rounding off of Tim Burton's Batman, and yeah. we're going to explore Val Kilmer in a Batman suit next, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am positive because I haven't seen these films again since the late nineties, so. I think, again, this is showing my age. The last time I saw Batman Forever, I think it was on VHS. <laughs> um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, I yeah. did want to give you one thing I read, uh, which, again, was just interesting. And, and a little bit, because we're probably going to be leaving this man behind for a, for a while. I don't think Danny Elfman does the next two, does he? No, I don't think um, he's involved. So Danny Elfman had a great enthusiasm for returning to Batman. Uh, I didn't have to prove myself from the first film, and I remember John Peters was very sceptical at first to hire me. Elfman's work, uh, his schedule, was 12 hours a day, seven days a week. When completing this movie, I realised that I was something of a film score uh, and an opera. It was over 95 minutes long, twice the amount of an average film score. Burton allowed Elfman to become more artistic with the sequel score, uh, such as scraping on the violins for the cat themes. Uh, under the pressure of the uh, finishing the score, however, the relationship between Burton and uh, Danny Elfman was strained, along with further creative differences on the film Nightmare Before Christmas, which was filmed at the same time. Uh, this led Burton to use Howard Shaw to score his next film. The musician co-orchestrated Face to Face. But yeah, he says that they... Um, they didn't really work together after this. It kind of strained their relationship, which I think was really sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is, a, that is a shame. But it's, I guess it, because this was sort of the end of the road, there, there was supposedly a third Burton Batman film planned, mm-hmm. but never happened. Um, uh, so this was sort of like the the beginning of like the wheels falling off the Batman film uh, adventure uh, yeah. up, up until the Nolan stuff. Because uh, e- each film after this sort of gradually got weirder and and less commercially successful. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think, like you said, so, it's it's that thing of either you keep the momentum going and you you keep the audience engaged and intrigued and and excited, or you cut your lovies and you just scrap the concept and, and start from scratch. And Nolan, mm. um, which we'll talk about 
obviously when we get to the Dark Knight trilogy, which I cannot wait to review, but Nolan always said that he would never make a third one um, unless there was a story that needed to be told and if the script was good enough. But he was mm. one of those people, again, if you ever read about Christopher Nolan, he's not really a sequel man. So doing a sequel, to two sequels to his Batman film um, was very ambitious. But then if you look at them as a collective, which again we'll talk about later, all three of those films are in their own genre. None of them really relate to each other, but they are. Yeah in essence, three of a trilogy. It's very strange. But I feel like we're going to go into Joel Schumacher territory and a big thing that we're going to find here, which I'm sure uh, is based on the same premise as Star Wars, is that it's all about the toys, James. Yeah, it is. And I think, without spoiling too much of next week's episode, the next Batman film has, in my opinion, the best... I'm yep. Batman line of any of the films. Oh, I'm excited to look at that then. Yeah. So in each of the films, after Keaton came up with I'm Batman, they've all had the I'm Batman moment. <laughs> so every every Batman has had it. And yeah. Val Kilmer's I'm Batman is pretty iconic. Okay. I'm looking forward to looking at that now. Cool. Yeah, that's me. That's it. That was Batman yeah. Returns. I um, I have got some merch, which I, I will have to take a photo of it and put it on the uh, Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's shit merch, but it is fun merch. This Ooh, was okay. a present bought for me as like a little joke present by my mum. During the last lockdown, I went a little bit mad and started building Lego again because there was literally nothing else to do. Uh, (laughs) So I've spent a lot of money on eBay buying loads of job lots of Lego and just building and building and building stuff. Uh, God knows what I'm going to do with it all. I'm going to have to try and sell it. Anyway, um, I my mum then bought me for Christmas as a little joke um, a little Batman Lego set which included the boat. A Keaton-esque style Batman with the uh, nice. Keaton uh, Bat logo on it, and a it's got the Penguin and his duck boat. <laughs> Amazing! That's so I'm brilliant. going to take a photo of that later, and I will put it on the uh, Instagram for everybody and for you to see, James. Fantastic! I like the it sound is, of that. It is it is great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the uh, pe- the Penguin even comes with his little umbrella, which I thought was good. Oh, <clears throat> that's so cool! So yeah. That was it. We'll uh, see you guys and uh, I'll see you, James, next week for um, Batman Forever. I don't know where I'll be. I might be moved house by then or I'll still be in this room, which is just full of boxes and crates. You could, could be coming like to I'm you in... from a tent nearby. <laughs> you feel like I'm in one of those storage boxes and that guy's going to auction me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those storage wars. I feel like I'm yeah. in storage wars. Oh. Well, if someone comes running towards you speaking really quickly, just run away. I will. That's good advice. Right. See you later, guys. Thank you. See you, Jake. Bye. Bye. See you, James. Bye. 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 Bye.